right. My name is Sister Prince, and today is April 26, 1994, and I'm back again <laughs> with Edna McKinney. This is our third visit. Yeah. And um, and I'm going to miss you <laughs> when we're through. Um, but we want to talk about some things that um, that we didn't get to and pick up on some things that I okay. noticed by re-listening. When you meet this many times, sometimes we end up going back over things okay. uh, and repeating ourselves, but I'd rather do that than uh, miss anything. Um, you, you mentioned in the last interview that um, Grand Avenue played a big part in your life, um, and you live down here near, mm -hmm. near, near Grand. Mm -hmm. So um, could you talk about that a little bit? Okay, all right, now Grand Avenue, uh, near the Fox, there was, a, well, it still is a park there, you know, it's like a pocket park, mm -hmm. but it was larger. And I forget what, Camp Jackson was the name of it. And all lovers walked there. That is, well, we'd walk up Laclede Avenue, and Lawton was another street, and Pine, and all those streets leading up to Grand. And you'd walk up there, and you'd hold hands, and uh, have ice cream or whatever. You know, you could go was a big Walgreens drugstore. In fact, it just closed recently, Grand and Olive. Mm -hmm. Then you could go in there and get ice cream or what have you. Then I used to date a fellow that worked in there, and uh, he would give me different little things out of there. He was in stock. <laughs> was this a black-owned store? White? No, Walgreens. 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 The but, same Walgreens. And, and and black or color could go in there. Oh, you could go in there and buy things, but you couldn't sit down. You, couldn't you sit would down. take it out and go into Camp Jackson Park and eat it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were strolling along up there and you go in Walgreens and get the hot um, peanuts and jelly beans, they'd make them hot, you know, right there. And then you go over there in the park. Now, the reason everybody liked to go up there because you could look into the fox as people were going into there. And, of course, blacks couldn't go to the fox. And that was one of my dreams, wanted to go to the Fox. <laughs> and see, they had a doorman then, and they would let, you know, people would, well, wealthy people would come out of their limousines, the doorman would help them on in going into the theater. And I would sit there, I don't care who I was with, I would say, oh, I wish I could go to the Fox, you know. And my mother used to get so mad at me because she said, you can't go there. Well, you keep running up there looking and looking and looking. I couldn't help it. Okay, you so. You cried about that. Oh, yeah. I, I was very intense about that. Anything to me that was forbidden, uh, I wanted to do it. I wanted to when I went downtown. I didn't want to eat at Famous's little, I call it little attic-like counter that was set aside for, well, they said colored at that time. Different titles, but same thing. And you could get a hot dog or what have it. I just wouldn't eat there. And later in life, when I worked at Famous Credit Office, I used to get so tickled, and I said, now, I'm up here now, and I'm sitting down, and I can eat in the dining room, and, you know, those things are something that you don't let go of right away. Now, the younger generation, well, they take that for granted because, see, they are born into a different time. That's already open for them, but for us, it was, each thing was an achievement, and that's the way I felt about going to the Fox. When they first opened it, I had to get there. Because all my life I wanted to get in there. 
So then my neighbor down the hall, she worked on Grand at that big hotel, the Melbourne. I don't know if you remember that. We had a friend, and he was a famous doorman there. He was famous because they always wrote him up every now and then because they called him, I think his name, they called him Snow, I think his name was. Snow? Yeah. He, he wore his uniform in such a way, you know, and he handled the ladies in such a way. I used to walk around there, and I said, one day I'm going to go in there, the Melbourne Hotel. I want to go in a hotel and have him take my arm and uh, escort me in and show me, you know, whatever, you know. So I've achieved all those different little things. You know, it's something that you wanted to do within you. But I knew better to discuss it too much with my a mother because it would make her angry. But on the other hand, my aunt, you could talk to her about anything. And she said, well, you can have your dreams, you know. But she didn't really think that would ever happen. And, of course, she outlived my mother, and so she got to see that the fox was open to blacks. <laughs> the hurt that you felt when you couldn't do those things, mm -hmm. what happened to it when you got to do those things? Oh, I was so excited. And I was just, and then I wouldn't date anybody that wouldn't take me there. I never, never would go out with any man that didn't have the means or didn't have the same ideas. That's one thing that broke up my marriage. My husband said, you're too much of a dreamer. And he was just content to be and do whatever. He did. But that never satisfied me. And when I got divorced from him, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I became involved with a person that was in higher position in politics, and I got to go and do everything that I ever wanted to do. Does it make the hurt go away? Oh, yes. It made a difference. I felt like I was on on the same level with other human beings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Before, I felt like I was just, um, how shall I put it? I was a human being, of course, and my mother said, nobody's any better than you. Don't ever think. Look down on yourself. But I just felt like, well, why can't I do these things? But as I grew older, I understood that there were some things that were done socially or what have you that a lot of the whites couldn't do either because they didn't have the means. It became one of those things where I thought, well, it goes back to the mighty dollar. Not always racial. Some of it was racial. You couldn't just weren't going to be admitted regardless of how much money you had. But then on the other hand, there were some things, if you had the money, you could. So you had to weigh them out and see which one was most important, you know. So I always said that I wanted to be involved with a man that could do those things and take me to the right places. And I did that all the time, even now. What were the right places in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, it was, you know, with um, going to the Fox, as I said, and uh, going to the hotels for dinner. And I said, like, being waited on, I didn't want a black waiter to wait on me. <laughs> I wanted to be waited on by a Caucasian person. I didn't care if it was a Latin, uh, whoever. Just it, I didn't want a black to wait on me. I just wanted to feel different. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I just wanted to do all those things. And then uh, there's such a thing as some black people will say, it's an expression that blacks use, you want to be too much. I don't know if you ever heard that term. You want to be too much. Now, my mother put it this way. It takes too much to do you, Edna Mae. You're never satisfied. I said, no, I'm not. you never. That's why I always work two or three jobs. <laughs>
Yeah. I had that thrown on me the other day. See, I uh, got tired of the gray hair situation. I guess you noticed my hair. So I didn't feel good, but I went downstairs. We have a beauty shop here. And I had her to get rid of that hair. <laughs> and it cut. Then uh, my cousin gives perms and put I had her because she doesn't know how to give black perms, but she can set my hair. So I wanted to rinse, put on, and everything. And so my cousin then talking, I was telling her about you. And then I said, uh, she said, yeah, you always didn't want to be more than you were. I said, there you go. That I hate that expression. She said, do you know when we were kids you would not eat margarine? I didn't recall that. But during the war, you had to make the margarine. Do you remember that? It Oh, <laughs> it was a white tub, just white. Then they had a little packet of uh, red. Then you would take that and you would work it up either with your hands or wooden spoon until it turned yellow. This was during World War II. You had to make your, sh your margarine. And this is what you baked with and then put on your toast or whatever, black butter. Well, she said, you know, you had to do it because Mother Nell made you do that. That was one of the chores, work up the margarine. But you wouldn't eat it. And she said, you always had to wait for the dairyman to bring the butter. You know, in this town, they used to bring the butter and the milk to the house. It sounds like you treated yourself the way you wanted other people to treat you. Well, that too, yeah. But then... Being very poor, they felt that you wanted things that were beyond you, and you were going to never attain them. But uh, I felt that uh, I don't care. I could have my dreams if I wanted to. And uh, I was going to somehow manage to do those things, and I did them. Do you have a part of your dream that you still haven't attained in the way of self-respect or... or uh being black and there's something else that is not really I'm fairly content because I've uh, mostly covered the waterfront if you know what I mean mm -hmm. I've done a lot well I've done things that I didn't think I could do at all mm -hmm. mainly as I said because of the connections now his sister my aunt mother's uh, my father's sister she always said put yourself in with the right people and don't get involved with the wrong folk. And my aunt would say, well, you know, trash will get in your eye. And she said, don't care who you mingle with. She said, don't deal with white or black trash. And there are just certain people that I have to this day, and I wouldn't allow my daughter to play with certain people if they were not the right type of people. You couldn't come in the yard. What's the right type of people? Well, people who had the wrong ideas and were crude and loud talking, all this kind of thing, you know. And uh, even yet, you know, I just don't like those type of people, and I separate myself from that. And then if you don't, um, don't want to go and do the things I do, then I go with the people who do, because I found that everybody does different things. But some people do not like to do what I do. And uh, black people still, some of them have this thing that, oh, it's too much like white. But it isn't a white thing to me. The only thing that I see in it all is whites were here first. And they established everything. Okay. So let's say uh, blacks were brought here, were forced to come here. Okay. And they were put into the system. Well, at first they weren't. But when they got into the system, there was no other thing for them to do but fall in or fall out. Everybody couldn't go back to where they came from. Now, what do you think the people 
people that are saying that to you, the people that are saying, oh, that's too white, what's, what do you think that's in their head when they say that? Well, I tell you, I find that some people are just content, well, maybe not content, that's too strong a term, uh, they just go along with the go along. They just go along with whatever's offered or whatever that is, and that's the end of it. They don't seek, uh, my mother said, look beyond their noses. They just go along with what they have, and they don't want to do anything different, you know? Uh, just like uh, with my uh, cousin, the same one that did my hair, she'll say, you're never going to Germany. Why you get your head all worked up about that? I said, look, let me tell you something, girl. If I have to scrub floors, which is something I always thought beneath me, and I never wanted my daughter to work in anybody's house because she didn't work in our house. <laughs> my husband wouldn't let her. But, I mean, I would do anything. I would have done that to get to Germany. My daughter just happened to marry a fella that uh, was going to Germany, and she married him, and she went with her husband. And this broke my heart. There were just the two of us, you know. My people were dead. And I wasn't going to let my child just go, you know. I had to see her. But I had uh, a fellow, as I said, in good position and all that, but uh, I couldn't ask him to uh, go tracing around behind my daughter. That wasn't his child, you know. So I decided that uh, Mr. Wade, as I mentioned to you by Wade Funeral Home, was a friend of my family. As my mother worked there at one time. And so he had sent a man to his office, my office rather, to get uh, certification to open up his flower shop next to his funeral home. So I was always nuts about flowers. I used to steal them out of my mother-in-law's yard when I was a little girl. And so she said, you going to bury that girl? She steals my flowers. <laughs> so anyway, he opened the flower shop. And so I called him. I said, oh, what are you doing in the flower business? I thought you were funeral director. He said, yeah, but this is a related business, and it's the building next door. And uh, I said, oh, I'm just so wild about flowers. I like to look in sometimes. He said, do better than that. If you want to, you can come up and work. I said, I'm not going to give up working at City Hall for that little buddy. I know you're not going to pay that. But he said, listen, whatever you make there, I'll pay you. But you can only come on Saturday. I said, yeah. So I went every Saturday. So that was Germany Monday, money. I never touched that paycheck. And I was just, it was a new turning point in my life because I learned the floral design. I was the cashier, but I learned to do that. Whenever there were customers, I'd go to the back with this little Polish fella. He was a terrific designer. Oh, they're always announcing something here. And uh, I would uh, sit with him, and uh, he would show me how to handle different things. And an ugly job that I would like was to start taking the thorns out of the roses. <laughs> But anyway, they, you know, that was the most popular flower. But then they started letting me uh, counsel the bridesmaids, uh, brides when they came in, brides-to-be. And I loved that. Then I started going, taking one of the limos and going to the churches and decorating. And I just had a whole new world. So then I began, they were doing only fresh-cut flowers. When the silks came in, then we fell out. He thought that they were rags. He was set in his way, and he said, it's just a passing fad. They're not going to do anything with those rags, and after a while, that's going to be the end of them. But I said, mm-mm. I started checking at Nettie's and different big shops, and they were bringing in the silks. They were expensive, but people were buying them, those that could afford and those that couldn't, they'd get the cut flowers. But I knew that that was going to be a big thing because they would last. 
And so then I said, well, I asked Mr. Wade, I said, I want to go to Floor Valley and take the bridal course in silks. And I had mentioned it to Stanley, the Polish fellow that managed the shop. He said, no, you're not going. You're not going to use this name of this shop, not as long as I'm in charge. So I went over his head to Wade because I knew that he knew me when I was a girl. So he said, well, sure, going out there. I said, but there's one thing. I said, I want to uh, take some of the fresh-cut flowers that are left over, not the fresh ones. For the class, you had to bring your own supplies. And uh, so he said, well, sure. So he said, I'll, I said, no, you have to call Stanley because he told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> he said, I'm the owner. So anyway, that happened. I started going to Flow Valley two nights a week, taking bridal, this, all this stuff and then silks. Then I started making them for the office and doing it on the side. So anyway, and then every year I would go to Germany. Stanley would fuss about that. There's nobody here when you go to Germany. I don't have a girl Friday. Nobody go to the wholesale place. And this and that. And then you fool with those rags out there at Flow Valley. Don't bring none in the store. Oh, we fussed and fussed and fussed. But we got along. It was a friendly type fuss. It just that he was set in his way. And you wanted to fly him. Yeah. Um, the, back, back to Grand Avenue for a minute. Um, the Philip, you said that there was a whistle that sounded, a, a, a curfew when you were little. Well, um, it was a nine o'clock whistle, like at but, noon. But it was, yeah, uh, Mrs. Phillips said it was Liggett and Myers tobacco Oh, whistle. my mother worked there, yeah, maybe came from there. But And, and I said, oh, but, but Edna told me, I thought it was the fact that they blew a whistle that was a curfew, but your parent, your mother just said, I guess, you have to be in, is that Well, Well, that, that was her curfew, you got to be in at 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, and the whistle blew at 9 o'clock. See, it does, well, Mrs. I don't think Phillips it does said. now, yeah. Well, Mrs., no, I'm talking about then. Okay. So that wasn't a whistle that blew for children, it was a whistle oh, no, that no, blew no, at no. 9 o'clock. Oh, no, 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 it was going to blow regardless. <laughs> but that, <laughs> you misunderstood it. Okay, yeah. well then, I didn't know where it came from. Now you told me something I didn't know. Well, that's know. what Mrs. Phillips said. I don't know either. Well, anyway, it blew. Okay. And see, my mother said, before it stops, you better have your foot on this doorstep coming oh, in here. Well, Otherwise, she would give you a whipping. Uh, I just wanted to clear that up with you. That's um, a good one. Yeah. Um, then it blew at noon, too. Okay. Um... What is the relationship? Where did you get to be friendly with Mrs. Phillips' daughter? Is that a, a, from childhood or? Not really early childhood, later. I, let's see, where did I meet her? And for the sake of the people that are listening to this tape, Edna gave me the name of Mrs. Phillips, who lives over mm. on the south side and has all of her life. And I was trying to think. also listen to her tape. <laughs> I can't recall where I met her. God, I'm okay, people. But it's been a long uh, uh, friendship, but it hasn't been where we were real close. Uh -huh. But I think we are, we are, are seeing more of each other now since I formed this retiree club. Mm -hmm, which I want to talk about. Um, okay. Um, back to what fascinates me and what you brought up and we've talked a little about, about the, the um, southern... Uh, Negro that came up, and and you spoke at great length about it. Um, a couple of things. I wonder what uptown meant. Did we talk about that? I mean, they said uptown instead of downtown, but I. 
I'm well, to get a sense oh yeah, of that why was going said, shopping. Yeah, but why? Why do you think that they called it uptown? Well, I think now it was possibly where they came from. Uh, it might have been, I don't really know, it might have been the restricted area for blacks to shop or whatever. I don't know what it was. So but it was, uh, up. it, it was uptown, whatever it was. When they were going shopping, they would go uptown. But when they came here, they couldn't let go of that expression. And they we would talk about going downtown, they would still say uptown. So we just laughed about it and let it go because mm -hmm. they couldn't shake it. And you, you told your daughter, did you tell your daughter about the the hanging that your mother-in-law told you about. Oh yeah, I think mostly everybody in the family knew about so that. that. that they talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, since we've talked, I'm, not that you've dwelled on the things that we've talked about, but sometimes it awakens memories and things. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if you could recall anything else about the Southern Negro that came up that. You, you talked at great length, so I, I, you talked about how they lived and how they, you know, people lived with each other, mm -hmm. slept on, like on top of each other. Yeah, almost. children, and the fact that you felt superior. And I know about the friends from the South, yeah, the people if, there. Yeah, that's a, that really interests me a lot, so if you can't think of something now, then... Well, I tell you, um... I talked to one of those gals, <laughs> I got to call her back too, because she's in with the retiree group, two of them are. They, they were the ones that um, were lived closest to me on this one block. The block that I lived on, Walnut Street, was a long Which one street? block, Walnut Street. Walnut. 3400 block of Walnut was just a one block street. And it was like a little village-like because everybody knew everybody. It was a neatly kept place with uh, white fences and this and that. And it led up to Grand to Teresa, which was a block from Grand. First, you lived. Let's just run through that. Okay. When you were born. Well, the birth certificate says South. That would be LaSalle or Hickory mm -hmm. over in there. Okay. Okay. Then we moved across the bridge mm -hmm. to the north side. Well, it was really not north, but it was. They just say cross the bridge. Right. Uh -huh. We lived on the Cleed. Okay. And uh, we lived on Lawton. We lived on Lucas. And uh, Walnut Street was the last street. Okay. 3400 block. Now, there were and two Walnuts. Why, why was the two Walnuts? Yeah, see, Walnut was a street that was down toward Lincoln and broke off. And then it came further up this way toward Grand. See, then that was just one long block, but there was like twenty some hundred Walnut down near Lincoln School and down in that area, that broke off Clark and Walnut. What were the main reasons for moving? Well, uh, the main reason they always wanted to get bigger houses to make more money. They had rumors and the borders. You're see, still with your aunt and your yeah. Now they always lived together. Your mother and your aunt. Yeah, they were two sisters. They always lived together. And, uh, which the, was the largest? Which was large house? Oh, as far back as I can remember, I think this. I'm not too sure, but I know Lucas over here, because that's when uh, my cousin and I went to Banneker School. It was pretty large, but nearly all of them were large. In those days, they had third floors and attics. You know, mm -hmm. big houses, and uh, they. Uh, could rent an attic uh, 
house, apartment, not house, but apartment, and then uh, you had your first, second, and third floors. Tell me what about the Tom Powell Post, which you know oh, about the Tom Powell Post. Oh, was that was a, a jumping spot. Uh, you had uh, more or less the upper middle class blacks belong there. They had, uh, it was uh, like a private club in a way, but it wasn't, I think it was veterans more or less. Your father was a veteran or uh, had been in the Somebody, war. yeah, was a veteran. And, um, but yours wasn't, you just went with friends, is that correct? Yeah, I went with, I was invited, you know, and then the person that I dated uh, went, uh, had friends who belonged there and they would have really beautiful dances, formal and everything. It was really a kind of a social place. Then they would have dinners and uh, different affairs. Then they would, when they had parades in the city, the Tom Power Post bands and things, oh, their bands were magnificent. The marches, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. very interesting. Um, where was it? It was, let's see, Franklin, and Enright, was it Enright? No, it was Franklin. It was Franklin near Grand. It was a huge hall, like, but they had rooms, too, in there where they would, you know, sit up dining, and they had a bar. They had the whole place. It had to be Franklin, not Enright, because over in here at Grand, it's Enright and Franklin, I think, kind of comes in together there. I'm not too sure. But it, it had to be Franklin up in there. And then tell me about, let's talk about your jobs. Oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you begin with, um, um, wait, I have a note here. You broke your neck. Broke my neck? No. Oh, looking, I guess, at the fox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. um. And I have a note here, YWCA. Did you participate at the Fellowship Yes, and my daughter went to camp. I always, we always belonged to the wives. All right, but before I we get do, to your job, uh, let's talk about the Fellowship What did that mean in your life as a girl? Oh, well, I didn't go to that Y. I was not existing. Well, now, wait a minute. I, it might have been. I don't know. But the Y I went to was called the Pine Street Y at that time. Those were boys. Yeah, but girls went there, too. Just oh, like they do now. I didn't know that. Yeah. We went there for swimming. We went there for different other activities. The Pine Street Y was uh, the biggest Y for blacks, and then they had live entertainment. Nat King Cole appeared there once. They had, oh, oh, it would be a annual Y, what did they call it? Circus. Yeah, that's it. They had that. That was a money ray fundraiser. And what else did they do there? And that was at the Keel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, my husband worked there. Worked where? At the Keel. All of the McKinney's worked there. What did they do? They did everything. They did everything from, uh, not housework, but um, porter work to uh, setting up stages and ramps and uh, you know, the rings for boxers and all of that. And, of course, in those days, the Riviera, I mean, the um, um, auditorium, they had the dances there. Remember, they had the convention hall there, and they'd had the ballroom there. And uh, the big bands came there, Glenn Miller and everybody, 
went to dances at the kill. Yeah, could everybody go to the kill? Could you go to the kill? Yeah, you could go to the kill, but you had to have, uh, if you didn't pay, you had to have somebody. See, the real reason I dated my husband, <laughs> because his family were in with, the Republicans were in power. See, we're kind of political. And we were Democrats, so we didn't have any out, any way of getting into those places. But he worked there, and his three brothers, they had passes as employees. So I could go with him as his date, or if he had to work, and, you know, they would have them sometimes uh, showing people to their seats or whatever they did. I don't remember exactly what all they did there. But anyway, a lot of times he couldn't dance because he'd be working. But if he wasn't working, he'd escort me. But if he was, if he was working, he would give me his pass. You, but, but could blacks go anyway, whether they worked there or not? Was it allowed? Yeah, they could go and play, but they had to pay. See, I didn't uh -huh. pay. Okay, but, but you could go, and that was not a segregated place? Not to kill. Not the ballroom, not there. Because people, uh, everybody came there and danced. That was the big dance thing at that time. Now, what, what, explain that to me. When, when was it, like, on a... Uh, well, they would announce it in the paper that uh, Glenn Miller was coming, or there was the Jimmy Lunsford band, Count Basie, all the big-name bands came. So it was open to everybody. Yeah, and they, you know, the tickets would be sold everywhere, and uh, if you had the money to buy, or you were lucky to have a fellow that could, you know. So I had the inside thing, you know, and uh, so I would get his pass. Then two could go on the pass, see, so... Uh, it was about 10 girls on my block uh, that uh, could go. And uh, we would, uh, I would take somebody on the pass for the two if he wasn't working. Otherwise, I just went with him. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they would have the jitterbug contest, you know, in those days they jitterbugged. Everybody got along? Well, I guess so. I never uh, knew of any problems. It just, on that big dance floor, everybody danced. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? I mean, uh -huh. you get all this. Yeah, but you couldn't eat. You couldn't go out and eat to dinner nowhere. Afterwards, you had to go somewhere else. Did I they mean, serve anything there? No, they had soda. You know, just. Uh, everybody could get a soda. Uh, whatever. You know, at the refreshment stand, but they didn't have food. So after you walked, so you dan everybody danced in the same room. There yeah. Was, nobody danced uh -huh. together. You didn't dance with a white person, and they didn't. No. But no, you your own out. people. You yeah. walked out, and everybody went their separate way. Yeah, if you wanted to go somewhere for something to eat, you went wherever. You could go. That's what I... Edna, you're talking about going places, and you like nice things, and so mm -hmm. Where was the nicest place in those days when things were segregated in the black community? Where was it that you wanted to eat that was really special in, in your own community? Well... I wasn't any place special. I just wanted to eat wherever I wanted to eat. I know, but aside uh, from that, I'm trying to get a sense of where, of where the, the best place is. What, what was considered uh, a restaurant that uh, when you walked into, you liked being there, you felt it was well, as good it, as you could get? Any of them downtown. I love to be downtown. Name me some names. I'm just trying to get well, a sense let's of see. Way back, what would be the names of them? Oh, well, see, number sorry. one to me, like uh, uh, the um, in famous is, you know, they have their restaurants on different floors. Of course, mm -hmm. Papa Bavari's wasn't there, but they had the St. Louis Room, 
it's still there. And uh, of course, I would love to go in there. And uh, you could be looking around the clothes, but you couldn't go in there to eat. Uh, then, let's see, what else was there downtown? Papa well, what? Papa Bavari's is still there. It's, it's new. There's a, when I was real good, uh, young, at 12, the first job I had, I think I mentioned to Fisher's. you. Fisher's. Yeah, Fisher's Place was a nice place. Uh, when I look back, see, it was a combination. It was an ice cream parlor with a jukebox on one side for kids. Then it was a full, what they call home-cooked meals for everybody else, and they had what they call meal tickets. And people came there. Well, how about something like the Riviera and Delmar? Oh, that well, that was when I was grown up. I, I, when all this other stuff was when I was a little girl. Now we're talking grown up. Well, but when you, take, okay. when you went to the keel of the White Circus, you were fairly grown up. No, no, I was a girl in the 40s. Uh -huh. That was in the 40s. Okay. Uh -huh. I was a girl, yeah, at uh, home. Okay, now you want to come up there and as an adult. Uh, when I was an adult, coming up then, the Riviera was the place to be for everybody, anybody. Uh, at that time, uh, I had gotten involved in politics, in the Democratic politics, that is. My husband was yet a Republican. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Tell so, me, huh? What was your involvement? Well, we were always in uh, on the outer skirts of politics in that way. My mother worked on the polls as a girl. My aunt and my cousins, and uh, in the democratic politics in those days, they rope off the streets in our area, and they'd give free hot dogs and sodas, and all kids went to the meetings in the streets with their parents to get the free hot dogs and sodas. Okay, so later on, um, my mother-in-law, mother and they were with the Republicans, which were in power at City Hall. That's how all those sons got those jobs, because they were, you know, in with the clique at City Hall. Which sons? Uh, all my brother, my husband's brothers, they got the job. Now, I was 15 of them, so <laughs> we won't go into that. A lot of McKinney's. But anyway, they had the Republican jobs. Oh, excuse me. And so later on when I, um, just before I divorced him, my girlfriend I had gone to school with, she had belonged to the Young Democratic Club with uh, Judge Nangle's son had was president at that time. Bruce Nangle. I don't know if you heard the Nangles. Mm -hmm. Well, she came by my house, and my marriage wasn't doing well, and I was not allowed to work or go anywhere or do anything because my husband was real strict like that. So I was unhappy. So she said, why don't you come and go to one of the Young Democratic meetings with me? I said, oh, I don't go anywhere. I'm married. She said, oh, you're so silly. So she said, and then I started crying. I said, I'm so unhappy. So she said, why don't you uh, go? I said, I don't know what i do with the baby. So she says, well, let him keep it. And I said, oh, Lord, my husband was babysitting. So she said, just get ready and go. She said, you don't have any initiative at all. I'm surprised at you. So she dogged me. So I think my machine's on. Let's see if it's about my girlfriend. Uh -huh. She was the one that started me in this political thing. And she said, go on and come on to the uh, meeting sometime, and you can work it out. I didn't have anything to wear. I had just been around with the baby and everything with her and this and that. And I wasn't going out anywhere because he didn't like it to go anywhere. So I decided to go down to Famous Bar and open a charge account. He didn't know about that. And I got me a nice suit and everything and hid it. <laughs> so then, uh, time for the meeting to come about. She came by and she said, I'm going to have the car sent for you. I said, okay.
So he came home. I had the best dinner. I love to cook. And had my little suit on. He said, huh, who's dead? <laughs> so anyway, I said, nobody yet. But it's a very important meeting. And uh, I didn't say Democrat because he hated them. You know, he's Republican. So however, I got out. They picked me up. Went to Young Democratic meeting. And I was really excited. They had me to stand as to be introduced and what have you. And it was on Franklin Avenue. Now, this was Jordan Chambers' uh, headquarters. Now, he had the Democratic Party and was the only black committeeman in the city at that time. But he also had the uh, charter for young Democratic clubs. And uh, Bruce Nangle was the... Uh, President of Young Democrat. Now it was sort of integrated, and I say sort of because the Chambers group was all black, of course. But when they had the big meetings, all of them came together, white and black. And then they had conventions. They would select a delegate or two from the Young Democrats, maybe one from the black side, and the others, you know. So okay, I became involved with that. Well, uh, I had trouble all the time getting away for the meetings, but she kept the cars coming for me, and I kept getting dressed early and <laughs> getting away. Okay, so then I worked on it, and I became fascinated with it. My daughter was about four years old. They asked me to start soliciting uh, people to get registered to vote. And uh, then I'd uh, make the list and go around and get them. And then I what would... Well, now we're talking about, let's see, Rosalind was not in kindergarten yet because I put her in when I first, uh, she was about four, she was born in 49. We're talking about in the early 50s. Mm -hmm. So I started registering, getting people ready to register and doing a lot of volunteer work and then going to the headquarters and stuff. So she told me, she was real sharp, she said, now look, you work yourself into a job. So I said, oh, I know my husband won't want me to work. <laughs> so I was so naive, you know. So anyway, so, but the marriage kept getting worse and worse. So I just thought about it. I said, maybe it might be a good idea for me to get a job because I think I'm going to have to escape from here. So I uh, became a delegate to the convention. They selected me for that. There was, I really was smacked with prejudice there when we got to the hotel in Cape Girard. Cape Dorado is where we went for this convention. Everybody was together in various cars, because some were on buses, you know, but uh, it was only about four or five of us from the black group, and we were in one car. But at the hotel, we could not eat in the dining room. So we were told we could go to a certain restaurant and eat. I was so insulted. I was so hurt about that. Did you all think that you could eat there? Well, we didn't know, you know, yeah. Uh, well, no, what happened, uh, one of the persons told us that we they didn't serve colored there. White or black persons told you? I don't recall. Oh, it was a, a white person. But I don't recall who it was. I don't know. But anyway, the information came to us from one of the higher-ups that, well, there was a restaurant nearby. But we had to run and go and try to get something to eat and come back for the sessions. Well, oh, that was disgusting. So then when we Did got... Did you stay in the hotel? Oh, yeah, we stayed in the hotel. But we'd, see, as long as we had our credentials, we had they had to give us a room. Stayed in the hotel, but you couldn't eat there? No, couldn't go in the dining room. 
So we went to, drove to this restaurant, I'll never forget it. And when we got there, they said, oh, yes, uh, uh, we can accommodate you, but uh, you'll have to take it outside. Oh, I was, that's two days, two times in a day. That was more than it could stand. So that was brought to the floor at the convention about that. And, uh, by whom? By you? By who? Uh, no, uh, I forget who the leader was at that time. Uh, but whoever was in charge brought it uh, to the attention, and they brought it up on the floor that wherever they come into whatever town or city, uh, all delegates should be permitted to be seated and served. And then especially when they had the big banquet and everything. Oh, So anyway, I got over that. But then I worked on up until I said I'm not going to continue to do volunteer work and not uh, get anything. Sometimes I would get some pay on election day, you know, but that wasn't enough for me. I wanted to, the marriage just said it wasn't good, and I wanted to get away. And I didn't want to get into any situation where I'd have public health or anything, help or anything like that. I didn't want to drag my daughter into a lower living situation, you know, because my aunts were living. They always brought clothes for her. She had all the things she needed. And I didn't want her to, you know, to get into another type of situ living situation. So I did work into a job. Okay, so Chambers was so powerful in this town. He called me in and told me there was a girl that I was replacing. And he told me that if your first check isn't what I tell you it is, give it back. Then I realized he was all powerful because... If you've heard anything about him, when he walked in City Hall or the courts, everything stopped. He was that powerful. If you wanted to get on the police board, you had to go through him. I'm talking about a black now and some whites. The Riviera Club was not only a club for entertainment. It was a meeting place of officials all over the city, black and white. They would come in and have meetings in his place and enjoy the entertainment. It was live course girls. You had people like Dinah Washington, that King Cole, people like that came there. And it was uh, people who had their reserved tables for them and the dignitaries. Then they had a lounge. Well, in that lounge and in the other part of that lounge, they had a private meeting room. So the city treasurer, uh, all the big people who wanted to talk politics in the smoke-filled rooms went there. You know, of course, they had other places, but, I mean, they would go there for two reasons. They could get entertainment. And, of course, I mean, they had free drinks. I don't know, but I'm just assuming. And then they'd go back in there and meet. Okay. This guy here was my fellow. He was his assistant, speechwriter, and photographer. Names. He was what? Names. Does he Oh, his name was Webb. Webb. Mm -hmm. Mr. Webb. Mr. Webb. Luther Webb. Luther Webb. Uh-huh, and this is Jordan Chambers, of course. Okay, so the Riviera was the place to be, and a lot of people who couldn't get in touch with Jordan Chambers downtown, he was a constable. He had a fume home on that corner on Franklin. Then he had his uh, headquarters. He had that whole corner. He was the official... Uh, what do they call it? Embalmer for the city. 
that is, uh, he got the bodies that uh, the city had, you know. They were sent to his funeral home. It was all very political. What was his funeral home's name? People's. People's. People's Undertaking Parlor. Was that like People's Finance? Mm-hmm, but it was People's Undertaking Parlor. the same People's? No, 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 no. It's different. No, no connection that I know of, you know, but that was the name of his Undertaking Parlor. Okay, so then the man, uh, my check was fine, and I called What do you mean give it back? Give it back to the boss. The person who gave it to you, if it wasn't. The I, I went to, tell me tell you where I went to work. I went to work for the Collector Revenues Office. Uh -huh. And uh, that job called for pay for a clerk for a certain amount of money. Well, see, when they had power, they could tell that boss what they wanted, uh, salary they wanted for you. See, an appointee is not like somebody would come off to the streets and get a job. He would go in at the salary that the boss, you know, wants to give him. But a person of power that gives them a job to a person, they have to more than likely go along with Because, see, in first place, if they wanted the black vote, they had to come through him since he was the only one. There was no Clay. There was none of these other people. They had never come out at that time. So any time that the election was coming up, the black vote had to be considered on various issues. They had to go through him. So this is when they would congregate and make deals and wheels and what have you. You understand? And the name of the game was if you wanted anything done, get it done in election time because they need you. So <laughs> Right. So if, so if he, he, they didn't pay you what he said they'd pay you, you gave it back, he'd fix it. Oh, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, and he would go in there and tell them, shut up. Well, one time they had a big meeting out to the Riviera, not the Riviera, it was at the Chase Hotel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, it was near election time. And uh, it was something, I don't recall the issue, but they were all on the platform. I was one of the hostesses and things. I do a lot of different little things, you know. Uh because I was the queen of their club at that time and I could get into a lot of involvement and then because of him. But uh, he told him to shut up, he was lying and to the people. And I don't know what all, but anyhow, all this was at in a big meeting. It was citywide because it was at the, at the uh, Chase. And he said, I'm going to bring you out of there. And uh, of course he did lo lose that. He lost, Mary Tucker lost that election. Uh, they were at odds about uh, jobs and racial situations. It was always a combination of the two. Uh, every committeeman in the city would be allotted so many jobs as a reward for their support at election time. But there were some wards had more clout than others and they got more jobs. I can recall in my office where maybe a whole family worked in that office, just to show you. They did that. That happened at City Hall. They do all those things. And then... What was your actual job at City Hall? I was a clerk. Mm -hmm. That's when I started out. I was just a clerk. I did filing. And then what did you do? I did filing. I did processing of tax returns. I worked in the earnings tax in the beginning. Okay, then 
gradually I worked into other departments and doing other things. And that's when I found it more interesting. But I found that although you were on the job, there was some prejudice there. You were there, but there was some prejudice. Some things, regardless of your political clout, you had to do on your own. Or even with that, you may not get the position, being black. So this made me decide that I didn't get to college. I was going to go at night and take these courses. I had been training people for a long time in the earnings tax department, doing various things, but I didn't get the salary, and this angered me so much. All right, all of these things took place long after he had died. So then I had a friend that was connected with Benny Gorns. I became involved with him. Uh, the name of the game was, you know, you just kept yourself connected with people with clout if you wanted to do things. So I wanted to get into something in a higher-paid bracket because my girl was going into uh, high school doing different things, you know, and there's always extra money and different things you need to have for these kids. Okay, so I... Uh, what was I doing? I had the processing and what have you. Oh, I had a girl that I had helped. I said, girl, we were all women when she came to see earnings tax. Emma was her name. Emma and I, Emma was uh, from the Bearer Southside Ward. But Emma did not know a thing about office work. She was terrified of everything. And she was put with me. And I helped her a lot at lunch times about filing and various things. So later on, Emma became involved with a political person, and she got a job in the legal section of our office, which was very interesting. Now, I was always interested in law, but no black had had that position anyway. So I figured that was going to be a thing that I could do in there. It was only two of them that handled that. She was assistant to the head person that did that, and she would go to court. Okay, one day Emma called me. I worked up in earnings tax. She worked downstairs. She said, Edna, I said, what? She says, I'm going to leave here. I said, where are you going? She said, well, I'm going to leave, and uh, I wanted to tell you because I know you had helped me when I came here. And she said she was going to give notice to the boss. She said, why don't you try to get the position? I said, oh, you know, they would never let me have it. She said, well, why don't you try? I said, well, I don't know. Well, she was black, wasn't she? No, no. Oh, she was no, white? No, no. Emma was white. Oh, okay. No black had had that position. Oh, I thought you referred, you said they hadn't, but meant that she had. Go ahead. No, I told her no black had ever had that. I said, okay. no, they wouldn't let me have it. So Emma said, try and see. So I typed a letter, and I knew a guy that worked in the boss's inner office at night, and I gave it to him to put on his desk because I knew when the secretaries got it, he may not get it. I knew how City Hall worked. <laughs> so anyway, what happened, I didn't hear anything, and I went on vacation. So then one day he called, and he said, would you mind cutting your vacation short? So I said, well, why? He said, I want, to come, I want you to come in, and uh, as you know, Emma's leaving us. And I had 10 applicants in the office for the job, but I want you to have it. 
Oh, I was really, of course I kept cut my vacation short. So I did. And so I got the job. So I, she stayed with me for a number of weeks, been training and all that. Then the lawyers came in and they helped me with the court part. Then I took stuff home and I had homework. And I was in seventh heaven because it not only meant more money, it was fascinating to me. I like a challenge. Uh, I wanted to find out more about the legal part of the office, you know. And uh, we had several sets of attorneys that handled various things. We had the real estate. I was into the personal property de delinquent taxes. So those people, that law firm handled it. And they came in and instructed me that I would have to testify that the cases that we had when I go to court and they grill, drill me on how to handle myself in court and what have you. So I was really tickled about that. So that was really the fascinating job that I had that I thought. So that gave me the groundwork for the job I got after retirement. But I didn't know it at the time. One thing led to another. Okay, so I went on and uh, did that until they had the um, city came up with the plan for what they call a, a window of 80 if you had the years and the uh, age you could take an early retirement with a $10,000 bonus and uh, I said hmm I'm not going any further here I don't think and I said I think I'll take this and lay back and do something else. I took the early retirement in 88. Yeah, 88. So then I was running around for about two or three months or so. And uh, I was piddling around. I was getting a little bored. And uh, I had invested the 10000 I decided that I'll better start working some until it would be time for me to get a social security check or something to add to what I had and the city pension I was going to get, I got, you know, I got a pension. All right, so what happened there, another connection came through from the Benny Gorns faction that they needed a legal clerk over in the civil courts, uh, the Metropolitan Bar Association. Uh, and uh, so she said, you'd be just a person for that, and you don't have to work all day. I know you're not off at City Hall anymore, but you could work part-time and do what you want. So I went over there to the Civil Courts, and uh, I took that position, and uh, it was interesting. They had people walking in who needed a lawyer they couldn't afford to go to the office, and they would come to us. And uh, I was receptionist clerk there, and I would seat them according to whatever the case was, and we had a lawyer on duty. Okay, later on, they closed that office, and we went down to the big bar. Down uh, was two of us, two black clerks. They dismissed the attorney, and we went down to the Metropolitan Bar, which was in Mercantile Building. So we had a small office there. So everything was done by computer and phone. So I worked there with that, and the calls would come in then for the lawyers. They would tell me what type of case you had and what the situation, maybe you've had an accident last night and you 
had been hit by somebody without insurance and you wanted to see if you could get anything done and then I'd give you an attorney. We had them on computer according to the categories and it would come up on the screen, this attorney handles accident type thing, so we'd give you that lawyer. Now, was this, uh, some were black and some were white lawyers? Oh, yeah. And, and the Bar Association has everything. Yes, and, uh -huh. and so it had nothing, you know, nobody minded who they got, black or white? Some would specify. It depends. Whatever the customer wanted, that's what we gave. And uh, this did is... Did people think to specify? I mean... Some did. Some would say, I'm interested in a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And they would say, uh, now, I don't want a black lawyer, or I don't want a Jewish lawyer, or I won't, don't want this, uh, whatever you say we had that, you know. Now, we didn't have uh, a lot of uh, black lawyers because there's the Mound Bar Association, you're familiar, Mound City. Uh, most of the black attorneys are under that. But some of them would be with us because, see, they could get cases every hour almost. We could give them cases right away off the phone, whereas they're waiting for somebody to come in, you know. All right, so this is what I did up until last, no, year before last. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, I worked famous at night. I decided that they wanted a collector there. Mm -hmm. I saw that in the paper, so I said, hmm, I'm going to go on my Social Security, but until I do, I've got, I only worked uh, four hours at the bar. I said, I can work a little longer in the evenings. I'm not doing anything. So <laughs> I went down and applied for the collector's position, and I got that. And I'd work from five to nine at Famous Credit. And there was uh, on the computer, like we had at the Bar Association, people, I would do the calling. You did it on automatic dialer and tell them now you're delinquent on your account and uh, various things about the charges and restrict them if they had gone over and above their balances or what have you, whatever the situation was, or arrange payment setups or what have you. And I did that too. You've retired a number of times. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm about ready to start working again. <laughs> and, and, and you're, and, okay, now, now tell me about the Retirees Club, very, very briefly. Okay. Started. All right. It started from the Metropolitan Bar. Even when I'd get home, my friends would call and say, they wouldn't call the office. There's a $20 fee that the bar would charge for if we assigned you a lawyer. So, of course, if they knew me, they'd call me at home. And they say, who, do you, who would you recommend? I need so-and-so, so-and-so, this and that and the other. Well, I, well, I still have all these books and things here. I'd say, well, I'd tell you about so-and-so, you know. So then a lot of my friends that retired, they had gotten into these daytime soaps. Oh, that's a no-no. I said, listen, get out of there. No, come with me. We're going to have lunch at this place. We go to different restaurants. All right. Then I was invited to a government a retiree group as their guests, and they went from one restaurant to another once a month and met all former government employees. But I got bored with them because they drank. I didn't have to drink. And uh, as long as they had uh, music and everything, it was all right and nice to meet the people. But uh, I'm so accustomed to being with people, and I said, hmm, I think what I'm going to do, I started calling some of my friends and said, why don't we do something different and have us a group? And what we started doing, I said, I'll have one of the lawyers come out. That's the first thing I did. And uh, I said, uh, who do we have? Oh, I had Attorney Rody. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I said, I know him. Rody's uh, R-O-D-D-Y. So, so to speak to you or to help To speak friend? to the group. Mm -hmm. 
This was our first uh, fair. Come on out and uh, give us some information, and we're going to have food and all this. And we brought his lunch. So they came out, and we kept on with that, and on and on. And, and uh, we've had about six now. But instead of Ask the Lawyer Day, I started having other people, different civic groups coming out. The last one, I got so sick I had over 100 people, and I had um, the Y dance people, the dance group, the senior dance group from the Y called the Crystalettes. Those girls can step. They do the electric slide and the line dance and all that. Uh, we had two rooms at the Sally Bowl. Is this, this Y? No, that's, that's out. That's out. That's closed. It's closed? Yeah. Uh-huh, it's for sale. It's for sale. When did that happen? Not too long ago. I was going to say last year, I think they spoke to it. Yeah, it's a big sign out there now. I passed there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Does that mean that they've closed or that they're moving? Well, the building's been sold. That's as much as I know. Uh -huh. The building's been sold. And uh, they, uh, I talk about now the why I'm talking about the uh, Monsanto uh, oh, page. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, here they are. In there. These are some of the group dancers. And they this is at the salad bowl on Lindell. Uh -huh. Are you integrated? Anybody can come. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I had two. And, uh, well, I had three. But I haven't three, seen three them lately. Uh -huh. I haven't seen them lately. Now, one I know didn't have transportation. Uh -huh. But uh, I don't know what happened there. But... Uh, it has grown. They're all seniors. Some are recently retired. Some are political. Some are whatever. It's just just whatever you want to do, wherever you've been. And then one day I'm gonna have a storytelling day, where they can tell their past and what we're doing here now. I like to hear what people used to do, and uh, how they came to be retired and whatever. You know, and retired from what, you know, and right. where. So. Uh, Let's see, what have we got left? Oh, I asked you the other day. Mm-hmm. I said I was going to start interviewing in the white community, and what would you oh. like mm -hmm. to ask the person I was going to interview? I'd ask you over the phone if you could ask them something way down deep from your gut. Ask the group? Or no, what I, have, I was going to interview a woman. Okay. And I, and I asked you over the phone that if you wanted to ask a white person something hmm. from down deep in your gut, something you might have always wanted to ask them, you know, what would you ask them? Well, um, I tell you a thing that uh, I've looked at, and it's... Um, Mostly from the people that I know from the South that I've experienced this, where they have uh, had relatives in the past that worked in their homes, in, uh, worked on the plantation or in the private homes or what have you, in uh, Caucasian people's homes, that is, and uh, cooked food and what have you, or in the past nursed babies. How could a Caucasian person uh, have someone nurse their babies. That that I cannot understand that. But yet, would not sit in the theater next to them. 
I would never, ever have any my baby put their mouth on another person's breast. To me, that I had, I can never get over that. I couldn't get over that. And uh, I've had people uh, to do. Um, well, we had a nurse, not a nurse, but a, a nurse maid. They called him in Germany. Uh, for my grandson when he was born, because I was not there at the time. I had to go back later. But uh, I told her not to nurse the baby or anything, you know, just to keep it clean and help my daughter, you know, because she turned out to be a house worker and baby care, too. They call it kinder care. But uh, then, um, and then I've had, like here, uh, a, a maid comes here every now and then.